This is episode number 37 of the Individual One podcast. For the record, individual number one is President Donald J. Trump. And I am your host, John Ziegler. We are broadcasting from Los Angeles, California, and distributed internationally by the Global Story Network. This is the bi-weekly program which takes an honest and hard look at the presidency of Donald J. Trump from a conservative perspective, because unfortunately no one else is willing or able to tell the real truth about him. Unlike the corporate media, we at the Individual One Podcast have most definitely not been compromised. Welcome to the program. Please subscribe, rate, review, and share it via social media. Follow us on Twitter, at individual one pod that's individual the number one pod lots of news to get to as is usually the case on the individual one podcast but we're going to begin episode number 37 with an interview that i'm really looking forward to doing but i'm also uh, frankly a little bit trepidatious because (laughs) because the person we're interviewing is someone who is in a unique position one with which i have some sympathy but i also have some disagreement Uh, And I think that will become clear and obvious as we go along with the interview, uh, because this person is in a truly, literally unique position. He is Ronald Reagan's son. He is Michael Reagan. Michael Reagan, the son of the 40th president of the United States, Ronald Reagan, and the president of the Reagan Legacy Foundation. Welcome to the podcast. Good to be with you. Michael, it's been a long time since we spoke. Uh, There's so many things to discuss. But before we get into the politics of the day and Trump and the conservative movement, uh, we're we're coming off of the anniversary, the 75th anniversary of the invasion of Normandy. I know you've been involved with that as well. Could you tell us about uh, your your involvement in that that, uh, remembrance? Well, how we're involved with with Normandy is that my foundation, the Reagan Legacy Foundation, has partnered with the Airborne Museum at St. Mary Glees, Normandy, France. St. Mary Glees was the first town freed by America, 4 a.m. in the morning of D-Day. And if you've seen Saving Private Ryan or what have you, that's where the paratroopers were all headed on that morning of D-Day 75 years ago. And so we've worked with them over the last couple of years. We put in a Ronald Reagan uh, conference center for conferences on freedom. Uh, we produced a film. And in the last two years, what we started was a walkway to victory where people go online to walkwaytovictory.com, purchase a brick in the name of a loved one, someone who served in the Second World War in the European theater, someone they know, and we're laying bricks down uh, through the whole walkway area there at St. Mary Glees at the Airborne Museum to memorialize those who, who fought in the European theater during the Second World War. And just the other day, the day after D-Day celebrations, uh, 75 plus one, if you will, uh, we were able to lay the uh, Dwight David Eisenhower brick uh, in our walkway. Susan Eisenhower was there uh, for that, and it was just it was a great day. I had one of my board members was there at St. Mary Glees. We did not go uh, because we sponsored a vet to go on his 75th uh, anniversary and take his family instead of us going. We're going to take a small group in there. A delegation, if you will, July 26th, I think we're going to be at St. Mary Glees, Normandy, France, so people can see the brick project and see what we're doing. But people can go to walkwaytovictory.com and uh, and get a brick and honor, honor a vet who saved the world. And, and Michael, I, I, I saw on Twitter that you, um, you praised the uh, President Donald Trump's speech at the 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 commemoration of the seventy fifth anniversary, and it was a good speech. I had no problem with it. But I'm curious, what did you make of everything that surrounded that event with regard to the president, and specifically him using the backdrop of uh, the the graveyard of of American soldiers who died there uh, on a Fox Television interview, where uh, he ripped into Robert, Robert Mueller, who of course, uh, served in the Marines and was a war hero and ripped into Nancy Pelosi, uh, you know, playing politics uh, in, in a way that uh, other presidents would not have done previously. What, what, what was your assessment of that whole situation? You know, the D-Day celebrations and, and all that, it's really about D-Day. It's really about those who served, honoring, honoring those. Politics should not really play any kind of an issue in that day. It, you're there for other reasons other than political reasons. And, you know, my father and I used to talk about this 
years ago. He used to really get upset when uh, when Americans would go overseas and point a finger back at America and start yelling and screaming at America and Americans as if we were the issue, that we were the problems of the world. And my father really had problems with with people doing that and would have problems with anybody doing that. There's just sometimes the wrong time. Michael, you, you fascinate me with regard to this, this Trump problem, this Trump challenge for conservatives that has, that has faced all of us who have been in the conservative movement for a very long time, you longer than, than even me. Uh, you've been a, a hard and true conservative your whole life. And when it came to the 2016 Republican primaries, you did not support Donald Trump. And then even before the 2016 general election, you said that you could not support him and you did not believe that your father, Ronald Reagan, uh, would support him. Let's go back there as we go through the evolution of this incredible challenge and, and tell us why it is you felt that way in 2016 about Donald Trump. Well, it's really interesting because I, I talked to him on Monday of inaugural week. And I, I called to congratulate him and welcome him into the family of first families, if you will, from the 40th to the 40, 45th first family. And I talked to his uh, uh, the person you know who does his booking and so on and so forth. And about three hours later, he called me back. And you know, the first thing he said to me was, you know, you didn't support me during the primaries. I thought to myself, wait a minute, I'm calling to congratulate him <laughs> for what a great week he's going to have. He's going to be sworn in as president of the United States of America, and he calls back to remind me I didn't support him during the primaries, and I'm going like, really? What? Are you really saying that to me? And uh, Well, let's let, Michael, let's stop there for a second. What did you make of, of that act by uh, the, the soon-to-be next president of the United States? I, you know, I, I thought it was really kind of small to do, to, to do that. Uh, but then it's Trump. I mean, that's just who he is. And you get to a point that, okay, he's not going to change. That's who he is. And for years, you know, conservatives have been saying that what we need is a businessman in the White House. We got a businessman, and we're having to deal with having a businessman there, and we're seeing the way he does business. And it just takes really, it takes getting used to. It's not politics you like. You don't like to see the, the bombs being thrown back and forth, the name-calling that's going back and forth. But then I wake up, you know, in the morning and say, Hillary. Well, I want to address that uh, shortly, but let's go, let's, let's go through the, the evolution of this. So back in 2016, in the primary, and then even in the general, wh- why did you take that stand, and what was the reaction to Ronald Reagan's son taking that stand against Donald Trump, among other conservatives? Well, you know, I, I really kind of took the stand because the the things he was saying, the, you know, he was attacking friends of mine, you know, who were who were running for president of the United States, and I just personally, and and politics, you know, ended. It was it wasn't about the issues; it was about personal destruction, and I just didn't I didn't like the politics of personal destruction. And my father wouldn't like the politics of personal destruction either, and the things that were being said about people who were, who again, were friends, people, you know, known for years, who were not bad people the way they're being depicted, and that was very upsetting to me. That's why I said that my father wouldn't support that, uh, and and I couldn't support that either. At, the, at that point in time. And what was the reaction when you came out and, and made that stance? Oh, you, you you get you know you start getting attacked saying like you're a never Trumper. I said, I mean, what what case of being a never Trumper? I'm just telling you how I how I feel about about things and how I see things, having been around for quite a while. And you see the part you see the party changing, and you see it going from the party of Reagan to the party of Trump. And I you know I get that he's the president of the United States, but you're attacked you know as as a never Trumper, and you know and. and that's what happens with social media. They start, you know, playing that game with you, and it, and it wasn't a case that I was a never Trumper. I was I was disagreeing with the way that the campaigns uh, were being run, or that campaign was being run, and the personal attacks that were in fact taking place. I didn't care about the, the girlfriends. It didn't bother me. I remember I remember my dad and I having a conversation 
back in the 1960s when he's telling my sister Maureen and I and Nancy about the uh, RNC having photographs of John F. Kennedy walking into hotel rooms with other women other than his wife. And, and Maureen and I looked at him and said, well, is Richard Nixon going to use that information? Is the RNC going to use that information to help Richard Nixon win the election? My dad said no, and they should. That's a personal matter between a man and his wife. That's not a, that mm-hmm. should not be an issue between you know, a man and the rest of the world. And so, no, they shouldn't use it at all. And that's how my dad felt. And so now we've gotten into everything's on the table anymore, and it's, it's gotten so nasty that politic, politics isn't fun anymore. It used to be fun. Uh, it's not really fun. It's angry. It's mean. It's cruel. And, and that's, it, that's just the way it is. And I guess some people really like it. And you read me at, you know, at Reagan World and my Twitter account or my op-ed pieces, I, you know, I, I say it the way I feel it at the time. If I agree with Trump on something, I tell you. If I disagree with him on something, I tell you that, too. Well, and I appreciate that, Michael. And But to be clear, I mean, obviously the, the objections to Trump go way beyond uh, his apparent infidelity and his, and his uh, three marriages and, and issues along those lines. And I think you know that. But I want to talk to you uh, more specifically about this. This connection between your father, Ronald Reagan, and and Donald Trump, because a lot of people, a lot of his supporters, a lot of conservatives, in fact, uh, Sean Hannity, who, whose show used to be on uh, quite a bit, uh, has has gone to great lengths to make a connection between Donald Trump and Ronald Reagan, as if Trump is the new Reagan, as if they have a lot of similarities. Uh, I I take umbrage. I, I'm offended as a big fan of your father's at that comparison. What is what is your feeling about people who compare Donald Trump to Ronald Reagan? I think it's wrong to compare them. Uh, if you want to compare them at all, they're both outsiders who came in. But that that's where really where the comparisons, you know, begin and the comparisons end. You know, every every Donald Trump is, is a one off, a one of a kind. Uh, he's he's no he's no Ronald Reagan. And I'm not saying that to be you know, negative anyway. I, I kind of cringe, too, when when people say that. And I love it. How many people actually say that who never met my father? That's what's amazing to me. <laughs> the fact that they may know Donald Trump and live in, you know, live in New York in the Trump Tower somehow, but never met Ronald Reagan. But yet they know that, you know, there's, there's, there's a similarity between them. Uh, Dad, dad wasn't thin-skinned. Uh, dad didn't didn't attack people in that way. He had a great sense of humor. He could laugh it off. You know, you had uh, people who uh, people who didn't like my father's politics, but voted for him because they trusted him and they liked him. And and people, you know, tend to, at the end of the day, when people vote, they tend to vote for people they like. And I think today, uh, you know. My father would probably do very well if he could even win the nomination of the Republican Party. He would, in fact, do very well because he was that likable guy that everybody could rally, in fact, behind, which they did back in 1980. Michael, you, you seem to be referring mostly to to Trump's temperament issues. Uh, but to me, it goes way beyond that. And it, it goes to to policy and fitness for office and going back to your father, I mean, one of the more offensive things, I think I might even have uh, messaged you at the time when this happened, but one of the more offensive things to your your father's legacy is the the idea that Donald Trump, live on national television, stated as President of the United States that the Russians were right to invade Afghanistan. Now, I I mean, what what would your father have, how would your father have reacted to that if he was still alive today? Well, you know, I, I, I think everybody pretty well, you know, knows how my father would, you know, react to, to those those kinds of statements. But again, my my father's no longer alive, so he can't react for himself. But everybody has a different way of, in fact, doing it. I think the president, you saw how I, I tweeted the other day, when the president of the United States is going to let Saudi Arabia, you know, get involved in... in, in, in uh, in, in making, you know, defensive uh, parts for us. I mean, I'm thinking, aren't these the guys who gave us the, 
the World Trade Center? I got these the guys who who underwrote those who blew up the World Trade Center. Now we're going to give them, you know, the authority to be able to build uh, equipment for our Defense Department. I'm thinking, where'd that come from? I mean, I, I think about those things, and it it it, it really kind of gets to me because that's something my father would, in fact, never do. But this is what Trump does. This is, you know, he's he's he. He goes off and he does these things. Uh, the trade uh, programs are going on. Will they work? Will they not work? We don't know. Uh, you know he, he's like running for president as if he's going to die tomorrow. He wants to get it all done this afternoon. He can't wait till tomorrow, so we're going to get it all done today. And, and, and it's, it's mind-boggling. Uh, it's upsetting in, in some cases. But then you look, you look at the economy and what's going on with the economy. And I, I think to myself, okay, the, the, the issues I might have with Donald Trump on one side, I know that if Hillary Clinton had won the presidency, we wouldn't be in this position mm. with the economy, with the market, or, or anything else. I, and that's her, the my, Well, Michael, considering the fact that she would have had a Republican Congress, I disagree with that. I think she would have been a powerless uh, president and, 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 and maybe a one-termer. But, 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 but I want to go back You're to— You're not going to have a, a, Repub- a, a Republican Congress— with, you have a, a bunch of guys who lied to you, you know, since the early 2000s about, you know, who we're going to repeal and replace. I mean, they never had a re, they never had a replace, but they were using the. Re- I'm not. I'm not defending the Republican Congress. I'm just saying that Hillary would have had a Republican Congress, and and she, and we and Republicans would not have gotten wiped out in the 2018 midterm elections. But but I want to go back to your father, Ronald Reagan, because obviously a huge part of his legacy is the breakup of the Soviet Union, uh, tear down this wall, uh, evil empire. Uh, so uh, if you could, Michael, knowing your father the way you did, what do you think he would be saying about a Republican president de- de- denigrating our intelligence agencies when they say that, that Russia, with a, a president who's a former KGB agent, uh, tried to influence our election on his behalf, denying that it happened, accepted their help, never uh, informed any uh, law enforcement agency that this was happening, and then obstructed justice, according to a, a Republican prosecutor, Robert Mueller, pretty clearly on numerous occasions in an effort to make sure that the, the truth was not found out in an investigation of that issue. What would, what would Ronald Reagan be saying about all that today? Well, the thing Ronald Reagan wouldn't say anything because Ronald Reagan never went after a sitting president uh, uh, come he, on. After, he was in, after he was in the White House and served as president. He didn't start attacking anybody. He didn't believe in doing that, and he just wouldn't have done it. And, again, that's your opinion. Do you think he would, uh, that the president obstructed justice? It, but there's a lot of people, including me, that, wait a minute. You know, that's why you have staff around. He may have said to his attorney to fire Mueller, but the attorney didn't fire Mueller. That's what they're there for. So that didn't obstruct anything because nothing happened. And, and we do know also that if Hillary had won the presidency, Mueller never would have made it to the inauguration. So everybody, everybody knows that. And, and again, when you, when, you, when you look at this and you look at the fact they're talking about collusion and so on and so forth, which didn't happen. Did you read I mean, the Michael? Would be Michael, angry too. Michael, would be Michael, angry Michael, something they didn't do. Michael, did you read the Mueller report? Yeah. Yeah, well, I don't think you read it very carefully because there's a lot of collusion in there. There was no uh, uh, evidence beyond a reasonable doubt of a conspiracy with Russia, but there's plenty of collusion. And this idea... Well, it, but, you know, it's really interesting. You know, it, people treat... It, it's really interesting. The Russians have been trying to be involved in our election process as long as I've been involved in politics. 1980, 1984. <clears throat> this, is, this is the game they've been playing since the beginning of time. And it's like the Democrats tried to work with the Russians in 1980. They tried to work with the Russians in 1984 to defeat my father. Kennedy tried to work with the Russians to help defeat Jimmy Carter for the nomination in 1980. And the Russians have been doing this for a long time. And by the way, we've been involved in other elections across the world <clears throat> since the beginning of time. That's how it used to work during the Cold War. We went after people. They went after people. And that's the, that's the way it works. Yeah. And the Russians trying to be involved. I, I, I don't think the world changed 
on Election Day in 2016 because they took out a couple of BS ads on Facebook. It was far more, Michael, it was far, far more than that, not to mention the DNC hacking, which changed the narrative of the election. Plus, you have the entire issue of whether or not our president is either effectively or literally compromised by his relationship with Russia, which is a brand new frontier here that is just horrifying. But back to the obstruction of justice for a second. You you kind of, not just kind of, you clearly diminished that because nothing actually happened. Let me tell you what did happen. James Comey and Jeff Sessions both got fired clearly because of their view and their place in the Russian investigation. The Attorney General of the United States was fired the day after a midterm election when the president of the United States numerous times for months before that urged him to fire Mueller and to unrecuse himself from the Russian investigation. That was the only reason for his firing. And then he was and then he was replaced by Bill Barr, a guy who has done nothing but Trump's bidding. That's obstruction of justice. He's using the attorney general's office in a way that no no other president in modern time would have ever dreamed of doing. You're not offended by that, Michael? No. <sighs> Why not? I'm not. I'm not. I'm not, I'm not so you think it's perfectly I mean, fine? Do you, does Mueller make it to the inauguration of Hillary Clinton? Or is he I don't even. Before? I don't even know what you mean by that. What is? What is? What does that mean? He for what, what he? For what he did? To Hillary. He's the one that had the press conference about Hillary. That's Comey. You're talking about Comey. You're talking about Comey, not Mueller. Comey. I mean Comey. Uh, okay. So James. Does James Comey make it? I have no if, idea. If, what what if difference if does Mueller, it make? If Mueller could have indicted. The president of the United States. Nope. He would have indicted the president. No, he, of the United he wasn't States. allowed to, Michael. Michael, he wasn't it. allowed to. He that was in the report. He knew that was not an option. Back to Comey for a second. Trump had every right to fire Comey when he took office. He rehired him, literally embraced him, told him he needed his personal loyalty, and told him to go easy on Michael Flynn. It was only so nothing after... Bo- nothing bothers you about the dossier and who paid for the dossier oh my gosh. and how that whole thing started. You, you know, let me tell you, bother you. No, let me tell you why it doesn't bother me. Because guess what, Michael? If it was some sort of uh, conspiracy to make up a fake story about Donald Trump to prevent him from being president... It would have been revealed publicly before he was elected. That didn't happen. Yeah, I think I, I, I got to tell you. You know, I'm sorry. I'm 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 not going to buy into all this stuff that's going on. I'm going to wait till you know everything comes out. But I'm not going to buy into obstruction of justice because no nobody there was no even though there's you go through ten a whole program of of these things that you know happened could have happened there was. Nothing to indict the president of the United States on, even after he gets out of office. That's not going to happen. What? It's just not going to happen. Uh, that, I, and you're thinking that the president of the United States broke the law. Where you talk about collusion? Where? Where? I'm serious. Where is the collusion? Where is the collusion? There is plenty. Yeah, of... yeah the, you know, the right. The Russians were meeting with everybody. Uh, okay. So. The... <laughs> All right, Michael, I, I would love to get into this more deeply with you, but there's other issues I want to discuss where we might actually be more productive. I am very curious about your view of how the conservative movement and those who are considered to be leaders and stars within that movement has changed dramatically because of the Trump presidency. I mean, for instance, you know, I'm curious, how do you perceive your role in all of this? I mean, you you're somewhere in the middle, which was why I find you fascinating. You're a Trump critic, but you certainly, as you, you just showed, you're, you're not, you know, certainly a never Trumper. Yet, from what I can tell, you know, you don't do as many Fox News appearances, uh, Sean Hannity appearances anymore. How have you personally been treated because you're not fully on the Trump train? Well, you just, I, I do Newsmax, so I work with Chris Ruddy, and I do things over at Newsmax uh, on a regular basis, a couple of times a week, um, and what have you, I write columns, that's what I do, but no, I'm not out speaking as much, it's not the party, it's not really the party of Reagan anymore, basically the party of Reagan got old, and you know, <laughs> I'm one of those guys, and uh, so I'm not, I'm not out speaking as much, no, I'm not, haven't been on Fox for, uh, for quite a while. Uh, and, uh, you know, that, that would be nice if I get back on Fox. Uh, but, you know, they, uh, I was booked uh, four times on Fox a couple of weeks ago to talk about my brick project at, 
at Normandy and got canceled all four times. So I don't know what's going on over there at this point. Now, hold on. That's pretty fascinating. Four separate shows you were booked on and then canceled? Yeah. How? That's not a coincidence, right? I, you know, I, I don't think so. I had, uh, you know, I was, uh, yeah, I wanted to talk about the Brick Project, what's going on in Normandy, France, uh, because the reality of it is I knew that on, on D-Day, uh, there would be a lot of talk about my father, about a speech he gave on the 40th anniversary of D-Day, the, uh, the Point the Hawk speech, and I figured, you know, you might want to talk to a Reagan, and here's what a Reagan's actually doing at Normandy, France, with, uh, you know, to remember these people you're going to be talking about that day. And so I was booked on the morning shows and what have you, and, you know, got, uh, and I was in New York. So hold on a second. So you're in New York where you can be in studio and fought for Fox News Channel, where mm-hmm. Fox News Channel is located, and four, four different shows, the exact same pattern happens where you're booked, and then, what, how long before the actual show that was supposed to happen were you, were you uh, bounced? Day before. The, each time it was the day before. Mm-hmm. And without explanation? Uh, without explanation. So what can I tell you? I don't, know, I don't know who I made mad over there, but I guess I might have made somebody mad. And, and that, that is one of the issues which, which bothered me, which, which happened in politics anymore. It's gotten so divided, you know, on, on, on both sides to an extent that, you know, if you're not 100% in this court, nobody wants you. If you're not 100% in this court, nobody, nobody wants you. And and that's what that's what's really kind of sad. We've gotten out of the we got out of the idea of having conversation. Because now you've got to agree with me a hundred percent of the time, and if you don't, I don't want to talk to you anymore. And and that that's what's really sad about this generation, you know, coming forward. Uh, it's just full of just anger and vitriol and and what have you. So I must have made somebody mad at Fox at some point in the last couple of years. Uh, that, you know, I'm no longer, you know, booked on Fox to be on Fox about anything. And it's it's really become, for all intents and purposes, become the Trump channel. I mean, just like MSNBC is on one side, you know, you have Fox has become the Trump channel. And I guess if you're not 100% there all the time, you're not going to be there anytime. So you have no doubt in your own mind, Michael Reagan, that you were bumped from Fox to talking about to talk about a, a, essentially a charity a, a situation that had nothing directly to do with the president because you're not 100 percent on board with Donald Trump. Is that your belief? That could very well be my belief. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. I mean, my, Ronald Reagan's son can't get on Fox News Channel to talk about a charity related to Normandy, and uh, and it's because and you're not even a full Trump critic. I mean, that is that, forget taking yourself out of the situation. Doesn't that scare you as an American? Is where our media is today? Well, it does. I mean, but you look, yeah, it does. But but it's happening on both sides. I mean, look at New York Times. Says they're not going to go on MSNBC anymore because. And this is what this is what's happened. Nobody's having conversation. It's like if I want to be if I want to be ticked off at the at the right, I watch MSNBC. If I want to be ticked off at the left, you know, I watch Fox. And I'm trying to saying all I want to give me the news, and I'll give you my opinion. But it, it's very tough to get news anymore because everybody's giving you their opinion. I agree with that. Uh, but, you know, you're somebody whose opinion on Fox News Channel for many, many years was always valued. And, and you've been replaced now by a level of of pundit or commentator that, to me, is offensive. Uh, and I'm wondering if you agree with me on this, that because th- there are so many people now who have gone come up from the swamps to be taken seriously and are now considered to be conservative stars and are on Fox News Channel and and the rest on a regular basis, that w- a few years ago the conservative movement would have been embarrassed to even be associated with. Do you agree with that? Well, no, but I, I, I agree with the point that, like I just said, Fox is there, Fox is there as, as the pro-Trump, MSNBC's there, to be anti-Trump, and both sides are doing the same thing. You know and I know what's going to be on Fox News mm-hmm. November 6th of this year, what the show's going to be about. And I know exactly what MSNBC is going to be doing on November 6th at the same time. It's the same shows every 
single night on both channels. Mm-hmm. And and so that's what I mean. It's you're you're bringing in the pundits who agree on on both sides and get on. And so that's that's what you're watching if you're if you're watching. I enjoy watching the news shows in the morning, Bill Hemmer and that group. But I just but when you get to the opinion shows, it's on both sides. MSNBC and Fox News are both cheering their side. One's mm-hmm. cheering Trump, the other one's cheering anti-Trump. Right. And to to watch either one, to me, gives me no news. It just gives me vitriol, anger, and what have you. And, and so you you talk to people all day long. I've had people come up to me at dinner and say, did you see so-and-so tonight on Fox? I said, no, you didn't. You didn't hear what he had to say? <laughs> I said, no, I, I, I'm having dinner with my family. <laughs> you know? You gotta I mean, be... that's, what, that's what happens to me. They regular, you know, did you see so-and-so? Did you listen to so-and-so on, on talk radio today? I said, I told, I told the guy one time, I said, I'm celebrating my son's birthday with the family tonight. I wasn't listening to talk radio. And by the way, I don't listen to talk radio. I was in talk radio. I said, do you think country people listen to country music when they go home? <laughs> Well, in the Trump era, I can assure you that there's nothing I would want to listen to on, on talk radio. Uh, along this line uh, of the people who have taken over this movement and what I've referred to as a coup, it's not just Fox News Channel. I mean, it's CPAC. CPAC, which I know you used to be a part of, is is completely 100 percent become Trump world. And even the Reagan Library, which is the one I get your opinion about. I, I went to an event uh, last year with Ken Starr. Uh, at the Reagan Library, and it was effectively a, a, a Donald Trump pep rally. Some of the people that the Reagan Library ha- has had come speak or, or would never have been to the level of a uh, of a Reagan Library speaker uh, prior to Donald Trump. What is your opinion on how the Reagan Library has has uh, essentially uh, embraced Donald Trump in a way that, uh, at least from from this Ronald Reagan's uh, fans' perspective, is offensive. What what is your? It, you know, it's about filling seats, and and you know you have you have people from all sides of the equation go up there and speak. You were up there having a lot of Trump supporters, but you also get you know other people out there. Chris Matthews goes up there and speaks, and others go up there and speak whenever they've got a book out or and what have you. But again, it's about filling seats. It's about filling seats. If it fills seats, it fills seats. That, that's what the library is completely all about 24-7. They have programs going on up there, and they bring in people who have written books. If they can fill seats, if they've, they're filling seats, they're, yeah. in fact, doing their job. And, <laughs> and there's, a, there's a lot of conservatives out there. There's, <coughs> excuse me, and this is on both sides also, because I've talked to both sides. You have people on the left, who, and you have people on the right, who are appalled by what they see on either side of the equation. But the people on the left and the right, many of them are fearful of saying anything negative about their side for fear that their, their, their job, their paycheck, whatever, will be gone. I, I, I talked to conservatives who didn't vote for Trump, but the reality is they can't afford to go against Trump because of the backlash against them, and they could lose their livelihood. Same thing on the left. I've talked to liberals who, in fact, have said the same thing, that they have to play, play the game or possibly lose their livelihood because the reaction back to them, if they, in fact, come out against AOC or against whatever it might be, right. will be so bad that they'll lose the fact of being a pundit or they'll lose the fact of doing columns or they'll, they'll lose their, their livelihood. Right. And you have people on both sides that way. And, and that's the story that's really not being talked about. Oh. That's how absolutely crazy it's gotten. I'm sure you've heard the same thing. No, I, I talk about this all the time. It's a business now. You know, you mentioned it's all about putting uh, fannies and seats at the Reagan Library. To me, it ought to be more than that. And, but this is, but that's, you know, taking this into the larger picture, this is a business now. It's all a business. Some of it's a business pretending to be a cause. I mean, Fox News Channel is a business pretending to be a cause. MSNBC, the same, the same thing. It's, there, it's not about the cause. Uh, it's about uh, profit and business. 
and and basically making sure that your cult continues to feed at your trough. And in, in order to feed the cult, you have to say some things that aren't true. I mean, that's just the nature the nature of a cult. And so I, I totally hear what you're saying, Michael. And I and I I respect that, that at least to some degree you're not willing to play that game. And you're in a tough spot because you you are the conservative voice that's still living of, of Ronald Reagan as Ronald Reagan's conservative son. So I, I respect that you're in a very difficult spot. And that's one of the reasons why I wanted to speak to you today. And, and my last question in, in our time that we still have remaining is about the future, because I don't know what the path is for conservatism surviving this, Michael. I, the people who have taken over the movement the, the, the diminishment of your father's legacy, as you said, it's no longer the party of Reagan. It's the party of Trump. I, even if Trump loses in 2020, which is close to a 50-50 proposition, depending on who the candidate is, I, I don't see that Trump's influence over the Republican Party and conservatism is suddenly going to be erased. I think it is, it is nearly permanent now and has changed things fundamentally. I don't see a path. Uh, for for survival in the long run, do you? And if you do, what is that path? We always survive. We didn't think we survived back when Ronald Reagan was elected back in 1980. I mean, where was the conservative movement back then? Uh, or back in 1960? Uh, my dad. I, I don't think that's a good analogy. You I, know, you, you things change, and somehow America, as my father said, America always ends up surviving. We always figure a way to to in fact get through it. And both sides. You know, you you talk about culture. You talk about this. You talk about that. You have you, both sides. It's 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 gotten crazy at this point in time, and so is the left. You know now progressive. Is that going to survive after the 2020 election? Is Trump going to survive after 2020 election? I'll tell you, people are going to vote for in 2020. They're going to vote for the person they liked the most. That's who they're going to end up voting for. And if they like Trump more than anybody else running against him, they will vote for Trump. If they like Biden or someone else more than they like Trump you know, they will vote for that person to be the president of the United States of America. People will vote for the person they like. And Trump was more likable than Hillary. Uh, and it's going to be the same thing in, in 2020 with what happens in 2020. And then we'll just we'll work on it from there. But people, you know, are going to have to sit down and say, okay, what is the conservative movement? Where where are we, in fact, going? Uh, you know, issues you haven't you, you've heard nothing about the fact that the the deficit's going up, skyrocketing every single day. So the conservatives who always rail against you know the deficit going up are like crickets right. with what's going on right now. And uh, so, again, they have no voice. But I think part of that, not having a voice, they're afraid to have that voice sometimes because of backlash that may happen to them for saying it. You do not want to be in a Twitter war with the president of the United States. You lose. That's true. It's a very strange time we're living in. Michael, I really appreciate the time that you gave us. I, I agree with a lot of what you had to say, and I, and I appreciate you uh, sharing those thoughts with us. And, and please make sure you keep in touch, okay? Take care. Bye-bye. Right. That's uh, Michael Reagan, son of uh, Ronald Reagan, the uh, 40th president of the United States and the president of the Reagan Legacy Foundation. I hope you enjoyed that interview as much as I did. Uh, I find Michael to be uh, very interesting because of, as I referenced before the interview, his unique position. And I have a soft spot for people who are in tough spots, I guess. Uh, I have probably been too easy on Glenn Beck, for instance, the uh, talk show host who has effectively uh, gone pro-Trump after being as anti-Trump as possible. You remember Glenn Beck's uh, relationship with me in the past. Uh, John Ziegler, I, I think he's fantastic. What a, what a interesting mind he has. And, you know, like Trump, I have to treat people who have complimented me better than I treat people who have not. But that's not the reason why I, I've been easy on Glenn Beck. It's because I understand better than anyone the difficulty of his position. He has a lot of people in his employ at The Blaze. And it is impossible to run a massive conservative media outlet and be anti-Trump. It is just not possible. And Glenn and I have had a lot of conversations both on the air, off the air, on the record, off the record. And while I am disappointed and have criticized him both privately and publicly for his positions, I understand where he's coming from. And at least there's a reason for why he has had to make the concessions that he has. I'm not saying that they're right. 
I'm not saying they're necessarily justified, but I get it. Michael Reagan is in a somewhat similar situation because Michael Reagan cannot be 100% anti-Trump. I mean, he is the, the president of the Reagan Legacy Foundation, and for him to have a voice, he has to be able to reach the conservative media. Now, the fact that Fox News Channel, which that was the most stunning part of that interview, and, and probably from a news perspective, the headline, that Fox News Channel ha- had booked Michael Reagan four times, four times to talk about the 75th anniversary of the invasion of Normandy to promote a charity. And then on four different occasions, he was bounced at the last minute. Not for breaking news. I've been, I've been bounced many times on these shows. I know how this game works. So I know when a legitimate uh, bouncing has occurred and an illegitimate one. And the way Michael described that was completely illegitimate. And it was very obvious that he believed it was illegitimate and totally because of his position on Trump, which, again, isn't even 100 percent or even close to 100 percent opposition. So that's why I refer to it as a cult. I mean, that's what happens in a cult. You have to be all in or you're not a member. And so Michael is trying, I think, sincerely, and I don't agree with everything that he's said and everything he believes, but heck, that's what makes America great. But he is trying to to walk a very thin line, maybe impossible. It is a needle that probably cannot be thread. And he probably learned that with the way Fox News Channel just treated him over the 75th anniversary of the invasion of Normandy. But I thought that uh, Michael had some interesting and important things to say. I do wish he would fully read the Mueller report. My sense is he may not have fully read it, at least not with an open mind. Because if you read it with an open mind, there is plenty of collusion. It's just that Mueller did not believe that there was evidence beyond a reasonable doubt to prove a conspiracy with Russia, which is a very, very specific and narrow allegation, one that would be almost impossible even in theory to prove, especially with a president who doesn't even do email, which might be the smartest thing that Donald Trump ever, any decision he's ever made is the decision for him to never use email. Correct. Because, I mean, that has probably protected Donald Trump in a lot of different ways. And let's be very clear. the re, It's part, part of the reason why there was not enough evidence of a conspiracy, not collusion, of a conspiracy, is be, could have been easily because of all of the obstruction. We don't know whether or not evidence actually exists uh, of a conspiracy with Russia. I I hope there isn't. Gun to my head? Probably not. But I do know that the very same people who are saying that there's no evidence of a conspiracy, if if the same factual record existed with Hillary Clinton, would be presuming that when people took the Fifth Amendment or that when people destroyed messages destroyed evidence in the investigation or when the president of the United States refuses to give an interview and then says 37 times in written answers that he can't remember that that would all be presumed to be a cover-up that was covering up real evidence correct I mean that's the way we would perceive it especially as Republicans and conservatives so one the report does not say there was no collusion If you read the report, there's plenty of collusion. There was not evidence beyond a reasonable doubt of conspiracy. And let's be just one more time, just to be clear. Had there been evidence of a conspiracy (laughs) with Russia, then we're in the realm of Manchurian candidate. Then we're in the realm of of national security risk, uh, the likes of which we've never even comprehended before. So thank goodness. And let's hope that that's not actually the case that that's not actually true but the idea that there was no obstruction is is just absurd it did not happen anyone who reads it and claims that that there was no evidence of obstruction is just it's just flat out ridiculous i mean that that's just not true it's just not real and you know this issue of, of not reading the Mueller report is becoming uh, 
as as Charles Barkley would say, it's just flat out ridiculous. Uh, you know, we had a Republican congressman Rob Woodall go on national television and be interviewed by an NBC News reporter and effectively brag about the fact that he has not read the Mueller report. A congressman bragging about not having read the report with no explanation for why, no legitimate explanation for why he has not read the report. You cannot be serious! I mean, this is a congressperson who is willing and able to defend Donald Trump based upon the report, a report in which he has not read. That's insanity. But that's the Trump Republican Party. Correct. Shepard Smith from Fox News Channel, one of the few people at Fox News Channel left with a soul, has been getting ripped over the last 24 hours by Fox News Channel viewers because he had the audacity, the audacity to say on Fox News Channel, on state-run television, that the Mueller report does not exonerate Donald Trump. Correct. And that people ought to read the Mueller report. This has now become controversial. This has now become somehow going against the Trump cult to say just read the report. And this is where I've been very critical of Robert Mueller, because Mueller appears to live in a world that no longer exists. He lives in a world where people actually read. I mean, if this was like... (laughs) I don't know. Pick your pick your date. 1776, when the Declaration of Independence was read by everybody, I guess. We would in an era when people, wow, we get to read something. This is the printed word. Holy crap. This is my entertainment for the next several weeks because I get to actually read something. If we lived in that world, Trump would be in in trouble. But we don't live in that world because if it's not on television and if it's not spoon fed and it's not entertaining, then it doesn't matter. And Trump knows this better than anybody because that's exactly the way he is. Correct. I mean, that's why Trump is so well suited for understanding how to beat this, because he understands the average American way, way better than certainly Robert Mueller does. I love the poorly educated. And I have uh, already said, I've written at Mediate and predicted on this podcast that the way the Democrats are handling this without Robert Mueller's testimony so far, and who knows whether or not he's going to testify. Jerry Nadler, the head of the Judiciary Committee, is claiming that Mueller is going to testify before the end of summer. I'm sorry, it's already too late, people. And in the summertime would be the worst time to do this because everyone's on vacation. No one's paying any damn attention. Uh, to me, it's the, the window is already closed on doing this correctly. Uh, whether or not you should still go ahead and, and try to impeach him or not, I haven't decided 100%. I'm starting to lean against it because if you don't have all your ducks in a row, you might as well not bother. And the biggest duck of all is getting Robert Mueller to testify publicly. And I, I'm not convinced that that's ever going to happen, but it's already too late. But this idea of putting John Dean, Richard Nixon's former White House counsel, up there to talk about, uh, you know, the comparisons with Watergate, I knew that was going to be a disaster. And I don't know if it was a disaster, but it was a total nothing burger. It was, it was a stunt. It was an obvious, desperate attempt. To me, it was showed just an incredible level of desperation on the part of Democrats and impotence. That here you, the best you can do is John Dean? And, and I'm somebody who believes that what uh, Trump has been credibly accused of is way worse than what forced Nixon to resign. We just live in a totally different world. We live in a world with state-run television, Fox News Channel, the Internet, the Drudge Report, talk radio, all of which is holding Trump's cult together. And with the cult still there, the Republican Party is afraid, as Michael Reagan suggested, is afraid of publicly going out against Donald Trump, because they've seen what's going to happen and it's already happened to Justin Amash. Justin Amash, the Republican congressman from Michigan, who's the only one with the, the, the brains, the soul and the balls to come out and say that what Trump did was impeachable in the Mueller report. He is now officially resigned from the Freedom Caucus. That's right. <laughs> you, people, Justin Amash, a co-founder of the Freedom Caucus has now resigned from the Freedom Caucus because he had the audacity to express his freedom of speech and thought in a way that was highly credible and fact-based. That's where we are. It's just insane. 
You cannot be serious. That's where we are. The Freedom Caucus, which came into to, uh, power, you know, part of the Tea Party movement, you know, fiscal responsibility of the Constitution, they've abandoned all of that in order to promote the cult of a con man named Donald Trump. That's what they have done. And it is pathetic, and it is sad, and it is dangerous. Correct. But that's where we are. That's where we are. And Justin Amash, according to an article in Politico today, is now the target of the president of the United States. You heard Michael Reagan talk about how when he called to congratulate, I mean, just imagine, just imagine calling to congratulate the president of the United States on his coming inauguration. I mean, the guy is about to be president of the United States. He's busy. He's, he's getting all sorts of adulation. And he... He takes Michael, I guess he called Reagan back. I have to listen to the interview again to know exactly how that went down. But the bottom line is they have a conversation. And and Trump, the first thing he does is criticize Michael Reagan for not having supported him. I, I mean, now, it didn't sound like it was a joke either. I mean, I can understand, hey, you know, look at me now, buddy. You didn't support me in the in the primaries or the general election, but, you know, thanks for the call. And I appreciate what your dad did. That kind of thing. Doesn't sound like that's what it was based upon Michael Reagan's description of it. But that's who Trump is. And now he's going after Amash. He's actively getting the White House to find someone to primary Justin Amash next year. Although there are people who believe that Amash isn't going to run for reelection. That would be interesting. In a a weird way, I almost hope that Amash doesn't run for reelection because there's a very good chance he's going to lose a primary. And I wouldn't want to see uh, Trump get that kind of satisfaction. It would be better to, for me if he just said, look, I know I have made my my sacrifice for the nation. I stood up for what is right. Uh, and I realize that this makes me politically radioactive in today's cult-like Republican Party. And I'm not going to uh, bother with running for reelection. I'm just going to go through 2020 and do what I think is right. And this actually frees me up to tell the truth about who our president really is. So in a a weird way, I kind of hope that Amash decides not to run because I don't think his prospects for re-election because of the primary situation would be very good. Although it's possible that he, you know, I could see a scenario where uh, he ends up running as a libertarian as a third party, either for his congressional seat and ends up winning in that way, or there are those who want him to run for president. Now, that would be completely hopeless for him to run for president as a libertarian, but uh, I would vote for him. If he was the libertarian candidate, I would vote for Justin Amash. That would, be, that would make me very happy to be able to vote for somebody uh, in, in whom I would not be embarrassed, where I would not have to vote for a Democrat, and I certainly am not going to vote for, for Donald Trump unless uh, you know, the candidate is somehow even worse. And the only person I can think of that that could be would be Bernie Sanders. I, I doubt I would vote for either of those guys. But, but that's where we are. That's the pathetic nature of where we are. As far as the aftermath of the, the Mueller report and Bill Barr's cover-up of it, and I should at least point out that both Bill Barr, the Attorney General of the United States, essentially Donald Trump's hatchet man, and Don McGahn, his former White House counsel, who was a large part of the Mueller report, uh, where the Mueller report alleges with evidence that uh, Trump ordered McGahn to fire Mueller and then ordered him to lie and put into the record something saying that he did not order McGahn to fire Mueller. Both of them have refused to testify in front of uh, Congress as requested by subpoena. And now the House of Representatives has held them both in civil contempt. Now, I don't know what that really means effectively, although apparently it, it increases the, the legal weight of the arguments in the subpoena case, but uh, it was on a almost, com- I think, completely, totally a party-line vote, both Bill Barr and Don McGahn held in civil contempt by the House of Representatives. Uh, as far as the 2020 situation is concerned, uh, yesterday, uh, Trump and Biden, Joe Biden, the Democratic frontrunner, went at each other pretty good. Uh, it is obvious that Trump is scared of Biden, as he should be. Correct. Uh, There is no doubt, as I have been saying for a very long time, that Joe Biden, from a political standpoint, is the greatest threat to defeating Donald Trump. The polls continue to show that. 
There was a devastating poll out by Quinnipiac University, a polling outfit which I used to work for many, many, many years ago as a polling analyst. Uh, They're a bunch of liberals, but their their methodology is usually pretty good. And they did head-to-head matchups with Trump versus all of the Democratic frontrunners, and Trump lost to all of them. He got crushed the most by Biden, 13 points. But he lost to every single one of them. He couldn't get over 42% against any of them head-to-head. Now, some of that isn't that relevant because, let's face it, the vast majority of the American people don't know that much about the mayor of South Bend, Indiana, Pete Buttigieg. I doubt they even realize that he's married to a man. So, you know, that, I, I don't put a lot of stock in that number. Uh, I don't put that much stock in the Kamala Harris numbers because I don't think she's that well-known. Even Elizabeth Warren isn't that well-known. Bernie Sanders, I don't think the American people really know who the real Bernie Sanders is, but they know who the real Joe Biden is for all of his warts and vulnerabilities and frailties and the fact that uh, I don't think he's particularly bright. Uh, I I think uh, he's a gaffe machine. I don't agree with him politically. He's flip-flopping already, for instance, on the Hyde Amendment with regard to abortion. A lot of problems with Joe Biden. But the American people know him, and they trust him as a decent person. And he's the one they know the best, and he's the one clobbering Trump by the largest margin. So if you want to beat Donald Trump, Joe Biden's your guy, Democrats. I can't say this and often enough, as long as you allow him to win the nomination without destroying him, which I am not convinced is going to actually happen. But those numbers for Trump are very dangerous. Now, I saw a lot on Twitter of people saying, well, we saw what happened in 2016. These polls are irrelevant. No, they're not. The national polling numbers at the very end of the 2016 campaign were almost dead on. They were up by like a point. Hillary won the popular vote by 3 million votes. The problem was it didn't translate. The problem, if you're a non-Trump fan, is that it didn't translate to the Electoral College. It was always presumed that if you won the popular vote by at least 2%, you couldn't lose the Electoral College. Mathematically, that was, that was a, a rock-solid presumption that turned out to be false. Now, it wasn't false by that much. Because Trump ran an inside straight, winning Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania by very small margins. And he didn't, if he didn't win all those three, he would have lost the election. And other polls, statewide polls, indicate he's losing all three of those states now. But when you have a margin of 13 points, and I'm not pretending it would be 13 points if, if uh, you know, in the election in 2020. But today, it might be close to that. Regardless, 13 points, you're going to win the Electoral College. That's, that is not possible to overcome. I don't know what that magic number is anymore. You know, maybe 5 or 6%. You could feel safe for sure you're going to win the Electoral College. But these are the most devastating part of this poll was Trump can't get over 42%. Even against people who are pretty darn well-known. And this is with a good economy. Now, obviously, events can happen between now and, and November 2020. But it does not look good for Donald Trump unless Democrats blow it, which is still uh, always a very real possibility. So um, as we always end each episode of the Individual One podcast, we do so with the updated percentages on the chances of Trump not finishing his first term in office. I'm going to tick that down even one more percentage point. I think it's now down to 4% as it becomes clear that Robert Mueller is not going to testify anytime soon, at least not publicly. And uh, I believe that that window is now closing very, very fast. I'm going to, even though these polling numbers were terrible for Trump, I'm going to keep his reelection chances at 40% simply because I'm still not convinced that an unscathed Joe Biden is going to be the nominee. And if you don't have an unscathed Joe Biden as the Democratic nominee and it's not a head-to-head matchup, that's a clean-cut referendum on Donald Trump, then it's not nearly as certain that he's going to lose. So I'm going to keep that at 40%, the chances of Donald Trump being reelected. That'll do it for this edition of the Individual One Podcast. A programming note, I do not believe we're going to do an episode this weekend, and we will not be doing one during the week next week because my family is on vacation. (laughs) 
So it might be uh, about 10 days or 11 days or so between now and the next episode of the Individual One podcast. So please be assured that uh, there's there's no um, major issue, that this is just a, a temporary respite before we get back in the middle of summer uh, to programming on the Individual One podcast. But with that in mind, please make sure you subscribe, rate, review, and share this via social media. Follow us on Twitter at Individual One Pod. That's Individual the Number One Pod. And until next time, my name is John Ziegler. You're listening to the Global Story Network. <laughs>